Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Crystal Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Rashad Landers. Joined here with me is Ethan Fuller. And today we have a pretty different episode than the past. So there's been a lot of recruiting going on lately, and a lot of recruits have committed. So today's episode is going to be breaking down some of the recent recruits, uh, top recruits, and some are, you know, decent recruits as well, who have recently made their college decision. So um, first off on my list, we have Jordan Nesbitt, who's a 6'6 small forward. Uh, he committed to Memphis. Um, what I've seen is I heard he's one of the most improved players in the country. I heard he didn't get a lot of, you know, uh, feedback last year, uh, but he came back this year and proved. We saw matchups against Jalen Green where he was able to prove himself. Um, I'm hearing strong build, a uh, great all-around game. Another guy with an NBA-type body. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of players in this class with NBA-type bodies. Yeah, I mean, you look at Nesby, he's a great example. 6'6", six, 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 180, uh, kind of a wingish player. Um, definitely, like you can tell, he plays, plays with physicality for his size. Um, good athlete. Already a great shot, too, which is a plus. Like, you want that combination of size and shooting. That's always a good sign on offense. Um, a, basically projects as a scorer and he's going to be a good scorer at, at Memphis, which I think, again, you talk about Memphis and how they burst onto the scene in the last couple of years with their recruiting. All of a sudden they've just put together this crazy hot streak that they have. Um, as I try and pull up their, their list for the class. Um, yeah. You talk John Camden, we're going to get to him, but they've just been doing a great job recruiting versatile players, players that you can develop into NBA talents. Um, and again, credit to Penny Hardaway that, that you're getting guys like Nesbitt who are athletic and still need to develop a lot of skill in some areas. But if you put the system around them, they're going to really take off. And I think Nesbitt's one of those guys where you mold him into kind of a devastating weapon on offense. Yeah, and like uh, Ethan said, John Camden, another guy uh, who recently committed to Memphis, uh, like he said, Memphis is on the hot streak as well. Um, he's a six-seven small forward. Um, this is a player that Penny actually hasn't recruited yet. When I say player, I mean like player type. Basically an elite shooter, uh, which is what John Camden is at 6'7". Uh, most of his game is jump shots, all around jump shots. So, you know, got the mid-range, deep threes, regular threes. Uh, we haven't seen P Penny recruit a player like that yet. And, you know, it's interesting to see. I think a college comparison would kind of be how Luke Kennard played at Duke. Um, so, yeah, did you get to see a little bit of John Camden or anything? I've, I've seen a little bit, um, not a whole ton. He's interesting because he's not that highly touted which I think is surprising that he's committed so early and that Memphis has prioritized him so much because um, 24-7 doesn't even have him as a four-star. They have him as a high three-star, um, which is interesting. And as you said, yeah, he's he's someone that is going to play a role in whatever league he's at, and it's going to be through shooting, and it's going to be through kind of coming off the dribble and making shots. He's interesting because he's 6'7", 200 pounds, and I know you don't, just make the Duncan Robinson comparison with every white six, seven guy who can shoot. But I mean, it's, it's interesting that kind of appeal that a guy like Camden could have, obviously he's not going to be Duncan Robinson. Um, that's got thrown around, thrown around a lot, especially in the last two weeks. And 
So you don't just you don't just put him right with Duncan Robinson, but he's he's an interesting mold, and I think it shows a lot about his commitment that this is the direction that basketball is going. That you can that teams covet guys who can play that kind of very finite role where you're shooting a lot and coming off the ball and and shooting. And so I think Camden's commitment to Memphis tells you more about the state of what teams want than than anything else. Yeah, and I think it's Penny pointing out one of his weaknesses as well, that he hasn't recruited a lot of shooters lately, which is a lot of times why we've seen Memphis lose uh, to teams that they're not supposed to lose to because they'll be depending on guys like Lester, uh, Kernosis, or Boogie Ellis, who kind of had a rough year to shoot the ball. And, you know, they weren't very consistent. So you bring in a guy like this who can take the pressure off of basically the whole team who doesn't shoot uh, a lot. So, yeah, um, John Camden, Jordan Esbitt, a Memphis pair right now. Uh, honestly, Memphis is not done yet. There's a lot of top guys who hasn't committed yet, and we know what Penny Hardaway can do. Yeah. Um, another guy who we're going to get into, um, a 6'2 point guard, Carter Witt, a uh, hometown kid committed to Wake Forest. And he's a, you know, even though he's not highly ranked, he's a recruit that a lot of people in the world know just because of the flashiness of his game. Yeah, he's such a flashy, flashy scorer, flashy playmaker. And I think that was a surprise to a lot of people that he picked Wake Forest. I know, I remember you texting me after he committed and you were, you were kind of blown away that I'm mean, Wake Forest has kind of been out of the, out of the game for a little while. I mean, they grab guys every once in a while, Jalen Horde, he went to Wake Forest, right? Jalen Horde. I think Jalen Horde was in Wake Forest. Yeah. So they, like they, they do kind of get your, your spot top recruit. And I think Carter Witt's another example, but I'm really interested to see what the pitch was because I feel like it's too, it's too late at this point to say, Hey, you can be like Chris Paul at Wake Forest as a point guard. It's not like, that's too long ago. You got to be pitching something new. And so I'm really intrigued by what the message was there. Um, He's very, I think he's very similar in that he has the name because he's a mixtape guy. And I don't, I try not to say mixtape guy negatively. Obviously he's a really talented player, but there is a lot of skill, a lot of kind of motor and consistency, especially on defense that he's got to, he's got to work through, but there's a lot to like about him too. Yeah. And this is another guy who, uh, with Arkansas ties, um, he, uh, played with a couple of guys that I know and talk to a lot of recruits in Arkansas, uh, we saw Team Dad make the switch from Under Armour to EYBL, a program out of Memphis, and they always come and get, you know, most of the top talent in Arkansas to come around with them. And um, there's a couple of D1 guys I get to talk to a lot from here. Uh, Yubong, Etum, uh, Khalil Ware, they are bigs. They got to play with Carter with this summer. And they just talked about how, honestly, he makes players better. I think this is why he's, you know, also seen well around the world he makes his bigs better and we don't see that with a lot of point guards nowadays um he made him so better to where uh my friend Yubong, like i was talking about he had no d1 offers uh coming into this summer he's walked away with about 10 d1 offers wow and khalil who was already a top recruit walked out with even more high major offers just by playing with carter witt and him setting them up to thrive um, he's all he also sets up guards as well, but um, he's probably going to be 
like, you know, outside of Kennedy Chandler, probably a top three playmaking guard in this class. Yeah. And I think that's kind of his, his skill that he can go to work on and, and really bank on in college. And if he's able to maybe the NBA, um, just the fact that you are such a good playmaker and he has pretty good size. I know 24 seven has him as 170, obviously pretty undersized, but I feel like he's, he plays bigger than that. And he's six, three, which is pretty good for a point guard. And he's a true point guard in that. Like he's, he's going to be bringing up the ball. He's going to be the primary playmaker, as you said. And so I think there's a lot of positives that you can build on with, with who he is right now as a playmaker. Yeah, not now that I'm thinking about it, I actually put him at the number three spot when it comes to playmaking guards, you know, in this class. Um, so yeah, uh, Carter Witt, most of you guys know him, another internet sensation, like Ethan said, one of the mixtape guys, the flashy passes, Jason William comparison video. <laughs> you have it all for him for him. Um, next we're gonna get into uh, DeMarco Dunn, uh 6'4 shooting guard. Um, he committed to North Carolina. So I think this is the first get for Roy Williams after missing out on a lot of players. We saw a lot of UNC fans get heated uh, about this this year. You know, why is not nobody committing to UNC, this and that? Uh, we finally have a guy that commits to UNC. Uh, what I saw about him is he has a very mature game and uh, he's a knockdown shooter, but he also has sneaky athleticism. Um, so it fits into a North Carolina guy, basically a guy that can play his role, doesn't have a problem playing a role, but can also get, you know, his own if he needs to. And I feel like that's the perfect Roy Williams guy. Yeah, I think so too. And he's a guy who's obviously he's not going to be a, a one and done. Um, but he's someone who, as you said, he has a mature game. He can make shots, be a knockdown shooter. And I think that's someone who, who could potentially thrive as a, as a four-year college player and down the road, if he's, if he's able to develop um, his mature, his, with his maturity, his shot making, his overall skill level, um, he has sneaky athleticism, as you said, maybe that turns into him being an all, like an All-American and potentially a draft pick that way, because he's, he's not going to stand out with his physical tools right now. And that's not going to, and he won't, that won't take him to the NBA. Like it takes a lot of prospects, but I think there's a lot more as far as you said with maturity that that there is to like. And yeah, North Carolina has been kind of in an interesting spot. Obviously, they had a pretty rough year as on the court um, and you lose Deshaun Nix to the G League and you have Caleb Love coming in. Was Deshaun Nix UNC? I might have had that wrong. Maybe he was UCLA. Uh, he was UCLA. Oh, my, my bad. Well, they have Caleb, Caleb Love, um, which is a great get. But hopefully they start to kind of build around the point guards that they bring in DeMarco Dunn, for example, is definitely going to be a shooting guard. Um, and Caleb love, obviously he'll be gone by then, but hopefully that kind of sets the tone that, Hey, we're going to have a point guard here. Um, if you're able to play a role like you can in DeMarco Dunn, you're going to be set up for success long-term. Yeah, because with UNC, when I was saying Roy Williams guy, we don't see a lot of flashy players go to UNC. Although they may be top recruits, a lot of these guys aren't flashy. Like Caleb Love, he's a top player, but he's not flashy. He just gets to, he just gets it done, man. And when I say gets it done, I'm talking about score. How many scores gets it done? You just say a score gets it done. You usually say that about like hustle players or something. Uh, but, you know, I think the last – 
guard that we saw that maybe could be considered as flashy to come out of UNC that just went one and done was Kobe White. Uh, but Kobe White was so exceptional at UNC that there was no possible way that he wouldn't be able to go one and done, mm-hmm. especially being 6'5 at the point guard. That helps as well. Um, but yeah, DeMarco Dunn, like I said, he's a UNC guy. I think he's a perfect fit for the program uh, who hopefully rebounds this year. And, you know, after a rough year, like Ethan said, that was not Carolina basketball that we've seen in the past yeah. last year. <laughs> but yeah, so um, next on the list, we have Ben Gregg, um, 6'7", 6'8", power forward, who committed to Gonzaga. And the main thing that stood out to me was – you know, the jump shot, that's mainly what everybody has been saying. They haven't been saying much else. Uh, but they say that he's probably one of the most lethal shooters in the class, you know, up there with John Camden and guys like that. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because, again, as we've talked about the way the modern game has shifted, having that 6'8 lethal shooter power forward is is so much more valuable than it was even five years ago. I mean, you think of guys from – Davis Bertans to even someone at Gonzaga, speaking of which, um, like Killian Tilly um, and Greg, obviously he's going to Gonzaga. And I think you, their pitch to him was probably, Hey, look at Killian Tilly. I know he struggled with injuries, but draft guys think if he's not injured, he's a lottery prospect. And so we can do with him what we do with you. Um, And I think in that way, Ben Greg is set up for success. I think that's such a obvious kind of translatable role model for him to have is Killian Tilly and hopefully he has a similar impact yeah and I think it goes to when you just think of Mark Few and what he does with front court players in general whether you come in as a pure defender or a pure shooter uh, Mark Few has been known to get you if you're at that four or five position you are going to the NBA uh, or if not you're going somewhere highly overseas because you know, it's Gonzaga, you know, it's another program with a system. They're going to win 30 games every year. You're going to be seen. You're going to go deep into the NCAA tournament. A lot of guys wants to play in that environment, even though it's a small school, which many people don't know. um, A lot of people wants to play in that environment. So a huge shout out to what Mark Few, you know, has been doing and what he's going to continue to do at Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. And like, imagine, we've we've predicted this guy to go to Gonzaga imagine you pair Ben Gregg with Chet Holmgren and and you have this guy who can be an elite shooter and then you have another guy who obviously is extremely talented and especially an elite shot blocker I think that's such a fun that's an interesting and a fun duo to kind of think about and I think that would attract so many guards considering that both of those guys can shoot the ball so we'll maybe see a five out from Gonzaga where guards can literally like do whatever they want to do when it comes to getting to the paint and not having to worry about a lot of help. So that can be another recruiting factor that if they do get Chet Holdrum, I wouldn't be surprised to see them snatch a top guard like they did last year with Jalen Suggs. Yeah, that would be amazing. And there, I'm just so impressed by the way Gonzaga has kind of built a program that not only attracts recruits, but also is a winning college program. Like they're one of a, a very select group of teams now, almost in a blue blood sense where they're winning and they're developing guys to the next level. It's really cool to watch. Yeah. So that was Ben Greg. Next on our list, we have, um, this guy's height is all over the place on many websites. Um, 
I'm talking about Harrison Ingram. I've seen six, 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 seven. Uh, you know, he committed to Stanford, which that was that's very different from past schools. What do you think led to him committing to Stanford? I wonder if he makes this decision had Zaire Williams not picked Stanford. I think Zaire Williams making the decision to go to Stanford. Again, obviously, I'm not in tune with how Harrison Ingram went about this process, but that must have been a similar pitch, and it must have shown him, hey, this guy who is a top-five recruit um, also kind of believes in the vision that Stanford has, and so that gives me more confidence that this is the right choice. And Stanford isn't – obviously, it's it's not really your what you would expect. It's not what I expected him to commit to. I mean, you had great schools like Texas Tech – Arkansas, Baylor, Florida, that were all sending him offers. Stanford probably isn't what you would have expected, but they're, they've really developed nicely. Harrison Ingram is an interesting player. I think he's probably going to be up soon in our breakdown episodes because he's near the top of this class. Um, so without going into too much detail, he's interesting because he plays kind of a softer, as you say, a more mature game, um, very smooth, pretty good at all levels. I wouldn't say he has an as a skill that is elite, elite, but kind of a do it all kind of wing player. Yeah, and um, you know, I think he had Harvard in his final schools. Wow. And I think there's something going on with academics for Harrison Ingram. I think he's very smart. I think there's something like behind the scenes of academics that we don't know about. And, you know, Stanford is one of those academic schools. So I think this decision played more into the academic size than it probably did in basketball, which, you know, is very interesting because we don't see that a lot. And actually, the reason why I put Carter Wood at number three was because of a guy who's coming in with Harrison Ingram, uh, Issa Silva, another guy who a lot of people know, uh, probably one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player in this class. Um, he's the number two point guard behind Kennedy Chandler when it comes to playmaking. Another flashy passer who's actually known for not wearing any accessories but ankle socks. So <laughs> he's another interesting guy. We see Stanford building something over there, landing some top recruits. Uh, maybe in a couple of years we can see Stanford maybe a Sweet 16 run or so. <laughs> Do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, at the, at the rate they're going with who they're able to bring in, obviously they've shown they can develop. I think of I mean, when you think of Isil Silva and kind of what they could do with him, obviously they're very different players, but the way they've developed a guy like Tyrell Terry, who is now not only going to probably be a first round draft pick, but also is a guy who a lot of, at least scouts on Twitter and draft guys that I trust, they really like Tyrell Terry's NBA future. And so that kind of development is really interesting. And, and to the academic point that you mentioned, it is it's fair. It's fairly rare, but I think it's becoming increasingly common that a, a top prospect heads to a school and really like places a lot of consideration on the academics. And that ends up becoming a, a decider on where they go, which is interesting. Um, I think about, this is a little while ago, but I think about Jalen Brown. I'm, he could have gone anywhere and he went to Cal, which is not nearly a basketball powerhouse, but a fantastic school and you think about how Jalen Brown thinks he's obviously an extremely smart player. Harrison Ingram is too. Um, just kind of that they're playing the long game 
which usually is traditionally been like a red flag that, oh, you're not committed to basketball. But I think it actually, it shows maturity in who you are as a person that you, like you're thinking about your whole self. And so I, I respect making a choice that way, like Harrison Ingram maybe did and like Jalen Brown did. Yeah, and I think uh, that shows how mature these guys are, you know, because if you go to Stanford, you know, if you don't end up going to the NBA, I went to Stanford and I graduated and I have a degree from Stanford, you know, <laughs> people are going to be like, oh, give that man a job. Um, but yeah, that's Harrison Ingram, uh, who's also, he smiles a lot, man. Uh, I saw a Ball is Life video lately uh, um, where they were talking about, you know, who's the hardest player you ever had to guard. And for, first person on the video is Harrison Ingram. Uh, he's naming his player. But as soon as he comes out, he's smiling hard. And he's like, hey, how you doing? And, you know, I can tell he's a very humble kid. Uh, one of the top prospects I haven't seen in a long time who's just very passionate, a uh, great smile, great kid, man. Um, but yeah, so uh, last on our list and probably the biggest um, announcement was Nate Biddle, a 6'11", seven-footer who committed to Oregon. And uh, the main thing that I saw was shooting and shot blocking, but a lot of shot blocking. Yeah, man, Biddle, Biddle is extremely interesting because he's a, as you said, like a, a great shot blocker, um, in the, in the same vein that Chad Holmgren is where they're both extremely skinny and they get moved around, but they also, obviously he's not the level Chad Holmgren is. Chad Holmgren is otherworldly, but Biddle, he's, he's super duper skinny. He can get moved around, but also he's long and he's smart with his verticality. So he can block a lot of shots. He's also a great, great, great shooter. Um, that's going to really kind of project at the next level. Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself, like a super high on Biddle. I'm not, I wouldn't say he's elite elite and I'm not higher than anyone else is on his potential just because he has such a long way to go in terms of his size and his strength. But I mean, you could tell the tools are there in a similar way that they are with Chet Holmgren, that he can do a lot. He's a pretty good passer um, for a big, great shooter, great shot blocker, just kind of has to get stronger. Yeah, and I think this is becoming a trend with Oregon, and I think he saw the trend. Uh, you look at Bo Bo, then you got Infali Dante, and now you have Nate Biddle. I think Oregon maybe each year will land uh, one of the top bigs in the class, preferably the center position. And I think that's just something that, you know, Dana Altman, he's kind of leaning towards now because he loves the transfer portal. So I think he – doesn't get a lot of bigs from the transfer portal because he can recruit bigs. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I think many, many people haven't noticed that as well with Oregon. Yeah. I, I think I see that in Oregon, Oregon's kind of bulked up their, their program as far as recruiting goes recently. I mean, you talk about Bull Bull, Lewis King's another example, although he's more, he's, he's a wing, not a big, but yeah, I think Bull Bull shows you what they prioritize and that they, they don't really worry about, you being super skinny um they see you have a lot of tools and they want to try and kind of mold that into something that is ready for the next level and ready for their team and able to be productive so i think biddle has a lot of similar traits on a smaller scale that bull bull did and i think that's going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch and oregon in general i know back when we talked about caleb houston and 
him looking at different schools and making his decision, Oregon is a prime candidate for him too. And I think that they, they really have just kind of shown that they can be at least in the conversation for a lot of players, which is great for them. Yeah, I think Oregon, they like um, long players uh, because they run the zone and sometimes it's like a 1-3-1. One, one. So another guy who recently, he just transferred from Oregon and went back home to UCF, CJ Walker. Um, he was another guy, even though he wasn't a big, he was like in that 6-8 to 6-9 range, but he was very long and athletic. So I think they also try to recruit towards their zone when you look at guys like Biddle, Bobo, and Mfali Dante, they all work out being on the back line of a zone, whether it was Oregon or Syracuse. Yeah, that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense just the way that they're able to help from the weak side with their shot blocking and kind of be a presence. And especially in Bill's case, I think he's got more, he's got a better motor than Bull Bull had. Bull Bull was very inconsistent. I think Biddle's going to be more of a steadier presence. And I think that's a, I mean, that's a great fit. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see what he does with Oregon. Um, he's another guy along with Ingram who will probably break down more in another episode. Cause again, he's, he's also someone, as you mentioned um, with 24 seven, that he's all over the place. Some places like ESPN have him in the top 10, 24 seven has him, I believe at 17. Yeah. They have him at 17 right now. So he's someone who's, who scouts are mixed on. And so I'm excited to kind of see what he's about. Yeah, honestly, you know, it'd be interesting to see where all of these guys go that we discussed today, you know, and as well as many recruits in 2021, probably the most role player producing class that we've seen in a while, even from top recruits. It'd be interesting to see how all these guys develop. Uh, But I can say that, you know, off of this list today, there are a lot of great players going into college basketball. So if your program lands a recruit this year, guys, uh, you know, it's something to be exciting about, whether it's a two-star, it's a five-star. You know, a lot of these guys are coming in with chips on their shoulder because there's really no one that stands out in this class. And I think that's another huge factor in this class as well. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, as you mentioned, kind of the role player potential. Obviously, in every class, there are guys you think will be stars. But there are a lot of guys in this class. Um, Houston's an example. Kendall Brown. Um, a lot of the players we've mentioned today where they don't scream star, but they scream okay, you can easily fit in any level with what you do, which is, which is interesting. And I think, I bet, I bet NBA scouts are probably excited about that because they're, they can feel a little bit safer about their jobs. If they miss a, if they draft someone that they're not going to draft a complete bust and an unplayable player. Um, It's nice that a lot of these guys have pretty high floors, which is good. And, and I think that's, that's promising for this class as a whole like you said. Yeah. So, you know, on this episode, it was very different from the past guys. Um, Today we covered, uh, you know, all the recruits who committed lately and you guys can expect to see more episodes like this in the future. Uh, Right now we're going on a hot streak with recruits committing. I know there's a couple more this week that I believe commits and next week. Uh, So you're seeing a lot of recruiting happening right now. Uh, so expect to be on the lookout for another episode like this uh, from the different, you know, breakdowns and stuff like that. As we expand and, you know, as we grow, um, you know, it only gets better from here, guys. So if you guys would like to check us out and follow us on our social medias, um, 
we have YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, um, and even a TikTok. All of them are something oriented around Crystal Basketball Podcast, like Instagram. It's actually crystal.basketball.podcast, I believe. Uh, Twitter handle at Podcast Crystal. YouTube is Crystal Basketball Podcast, and I, as well as TikTok, I believe. So if you search Crystal Basketball Podcast, guys, you should be able to find us. Um, like I said, it's been your host, Rashad Landers. Um, that's Ethan Fuller, and you guys have a great rest of the day.